Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interviewed Jake Danahy, CEO and co-founder at Fair Harbor Clothing. Fair Harbor is a lifestyle brand based on the simplicity of summer and our dedication to the environment. And what I mean by that is they make swimsuits out of recycled plastic bottles. <laughs> and in the episode, Jake and I will discuss what exactly that eureka moment was for turning plastic into clothing, co-founding the company with his sister, driving to over 500 trunk shows to make sure that his product number one was exactly what customers wanted, recycling millions of plastic bottles, and the North Star for a company like Fair Harbor. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jake Danahy, CEO and co-founder of Fair Harbor. Jake, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Jake, let's start with the basics. What is Fair Harbor Clothing? Yes, Fair Harbor, it's a brand that my sister and I started about six years ago. We make all of our products out of recycled plastic bottles. Our whole mission is we create products for people to enjoy the places that they love while protecting those places too. It's amazing. And I think that when I first discovered Fair Harbor, the notion of taking water bottles and turning it into apparel is super fascinating to me. But for the total amateur like myself, can you just explain how do you take plastic water bottle and turn it into clothing yeah of course so basically what you do is you take these plastic bottles and then you shred them up into tiny little pieces and then you take those and you wash them down and then you put them into a big extruder and and you melt them down into these little pellets and then you shred the pellets into polyfibers and then you take the polyfibers and you spin it into yarn and then once you have that yarn you weave it into fabric and then in our case, we either digitally print on that fabric or we dot, or we dot piece dye it to, and then cut and sew into our, our swimwear. Whoa. All right. We got to rewind here because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if, if there's many people who knew that that was even a possibility, including yourself, right? I'd imagine that this is – you just grew up studying – taking this type of resource and turning it into something like clothing. So if, if we go back to mile one, what was that initial eureka moment for you and your sister? Yeah. So we, I'll kind of give you the story from the start. So my sister and I, we grew up going to this place called Fair Harbor and Fire Island. And it's, it's a small island off the coast of Long Island. And Fire Island, it's a really special place. The island's about 27 miles long, but only about 100 yards wide. And so there's no cars in the island. The whole island is covered in boardwalks. It's pretty much a glorified sandbar. And so when we were kids, all we would do is that's where we learned to surf and fish. And we just had a surfboard and a, a pair of board shorts. And, and that was it. We were the happiest kids in the world. And as we started to grow up, we started to notice more and more plastic waste washing up on the shores. And the thing about Fire Island is it's surrounded by water. So any plastic waste that um, wasn't disposed of correctly went into the waterways. And when I was younger, I didn't really think much of it. But we started to notice this. And fast forward a bunch of years, we went to Colgate University, played lacrosse there. And I went in with the expectation of being an economics major and most likely would have gone to finance or real estate or something like that. And I just didn't love economics and it just didn't energize me. And so I started taking geography classes. 
And geography is a, a really interesting thing. It's we, we were studying about global ocean currents, climatology, and ultimately this plastic problem. And so I was learning about the, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and all of the million metric millions of metric tons of plastic waste that go in the ocean every year. And this really fascinated me because it, I thought back to my childhood summer spent in Fair Harbor. And so I went to a professor and I ended up actually writing, doing an extended study with him. So um, a professor and I, for an entire semester, studied the negative effects of plastic waste on our environment, our overall health. And this was in 2014. And part of my studies, I found a, a mill that was actually converting um, used, discarded post-consumer plastic bottles into yarn. And I worked with them to create our custom fabric. And, and I turned to my sister, who was a senior in high school at the time, and I was like, we really need to do something about this problem. And that's when the idea of Fair Harbor was born. And our whole objective, as I said before, is to help promote the mitigation of single-use plastics by making awesome products that people want to wear and love. And that's kind of what led us to our mission, which is we create products for people to enjoy those places that they love while also protecting them as well. Wow. All right. I want to double click into the last part of your eureka moment. So you discover the mill, its capabilities. You have a eureka moment around how uh, a first product might manifest and it, in the brand and the apparel. But of course, there's <laughs> especially with a, a product-driven business of this nature, tons of risk in in purchasing inventory, trying to figure out if the world is going to want what you're building. How, how did you fund that initial purchase order? Talk to me about going from what was a really kind of interesting intellectual and like kind of spiritual interest into the leap of faith into a full-fledged business. Yeah, we had the unique opportunity. So I was at Colgate University and we have this incredible entrepreneurship program at Colgate called Thought into Action. And what it is, Colgate's not, it's a liberal arts school, so there's no business degree. And what they did is they created this program for student entrepreneurs to basically apply with ideas and then they get connected with alumni entrepreneurs who could help them kind of guide them through their process of starting a business and, and everything like that. And Every year, they have this Shark Tank competition where they bring in celebrity entrepreneurs to come and talk to the university. And when they do that, they also award four student ventures the opportunity to pitch in front of the sharks, per se. And so when I was a junior, my sister, who was a senior in high school at the time, we were chosen to uh, pitch in front of the, the sharks. And that year, it was Neil Blumenthal from Warby Parker, Jennifer Hyman from Run the Runway, Jessica Alba, because she, she was the founder of The Honest Company. We had MC Hammer. And so we had the opportunity to pitch in front of them. And we ended up winning $20,000 in grant money to start the company. And so that money is what kind of led us to incorporate our business and then also invest in our first line of production. And we invested in a very small run. It was We had five colors, 100 of each color, 500 total. And so that money allowed us to, to launch. And so we launched officially in the summer of 2015, actually in Fair Harbor. So that was the, the first, first line of, of product that we were able to make. Wow. Okay. So uh, after you launch the first 500 items, <laughs> I'm always really interested in things uh, like really big assumptions you got right and then total strikeouts. 
when you reflect back on the initial launch, were there any things where you look back and you're like, oh my God, like totally mispriced, something about the launch was wrong? Did you just tell your friends and family, yo, we're launching this, so check us out? What, what no, was like, yeah. what did that look like? Yeah, so we've bootstrapped kind of the hell out of this thing. And I always joke that the first people to kind of back and buy our products are the three Fs, which is friends, family, and fools, because obviously this <laughs> hasn't been fully tested out. You know, as a 20, one 22 year old kid and and i had no idea how to manufacture a garment and we really just knew that we had to get out there and we had to sell these things ourselves so we since we started my sister and i had done over 500 trunk shows and what that is literally we had we put a plastic table in the back of our car and a bunch of product and went out and, and sold, drove up and down the east coast and sold to everybody and anybody that would hear our story and what that allowed us to do is really tell our story and understand what resonated with the customers and what was working and wasn't what wasn't working. And so with this, so we would go to these same locations year after year and we would talk to the people who had purchased our product from us the year before. And we'd hear all the feedback from them about how they experienced our product, what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it, everything like that. And so that just helped us really improve our overall product. And so when you ask me, you know, what did anything go horribly wrong? I wouldn't, I'd say from the start, there was a really good response from our brand and our products and what we were trying to do. I think people really resonated with people. I think they liked what we were trying to do. And I think that the whole sustainability aspect of it was, is a very new thing and it's continued to, you know, gain a lot of momentum. But one, one thing that happened is like I said, I had no idea how to construct or manufacture a garment. And so our first pair of board shorts, we got them back. And I remember we had a launch party and I was wearing the board shorts. And I went to the bathroom and I opened up the fly and the Velcro came off and I was like, holy shit, what happened? And it turned out that on one color of the 500 units, the factory had actually glued down the Velcro instead of sewed it down. And as you can imagine, in a pro with a product that is used for swimming and especially in the fly area, it's something that can't be, can't come out. <laughs> I think that was my first lesson in oh customer goodness. service and how important it was. And so what we did is we only, we only sold 50 of those units. So what I did is I, I reached out to every single person who had bought that product. We got it back and I took it to a local seamstress who sewed them all down and then we got them back to our, got them back to everybody who had purchased them from us. So it was my first lesson in really customer service and that customer is king. And also oh how God. important quality is. That is amazing. Yeah. We skipped over it a little bit, but I, I definitely don't want to miss out on the opportunity to talk about bringing in your sis as a co-founder. I have a younger sister, two years younger. Up until probably college, we were like enemies. Of like, we couldn't stand being 10 feet next to each other in the same room. Now we're, we're best friends. But it's so interesting to me as you're almost exiting college, your sister is the first person that you seek out to go after the opportunity with you. Was that just a by coincidence thing? Did you say, you know what, like she would be a great partner in crime on this project? What was like that thinking like? And how has it been cooperating the venture with your sister? Yeah, yeah, she was kind of the perfect person to go to for this. Her and I have very different skill sets, and then also she's been she's been into fashion, in particular sustainable fashion, since she was like 11 years old. 
she used to run a blog when she was in middle school and through high school called Cakes, Cookies, and Cardigans. And so she was always blogging about fashion and style and everything like that. And we, I think we had a lot of the same interest and a lot of the same sustainability goals, but so she was just a perfect person to, to partner with on this. And she got in front, she got up on the stage and front of 2000 people at Colgate when she was a senior in high school. We've been able to build this thing together. She's been a great co-founder and a great partner for me. And and like I said, we've got different skill sets. So it's been very helpful to have her. And like I said, we've been great partners throughout this journey. That's amazing. So fast forward six years to today, I'm on the site and I, I saw the latest Business Insider article. You've recycled millions of bottles, which leads me to believe two things. Obviously, A, the impact is amazing. And two, (laughs) that means y'all are doing pretty darn well. Millions of bottles is a great sign that you guys have really nailed both the product offering and the value proposition. So tell me a little bit about scaling Fair Harbor. I can see on the site wholesale is still not a channel you're exploring. What have been some of the big unlocks for Fair Harbor? Have you just doubled down on e-commerce? Are there a few channels that have been major wins for you across um, these first couple miles? Just would love to hear what are these key wins that helped you go from zero to millions of bottles recycled? Yeah, so that's a great question. And and so I'll kind of bring it back a little bit to how we started. And so how we started was, like I said, we did 500 trunk shows, really got out there and tested product and, and really understood what the customer wanted and how they reacted with our product. And so that was number one. And number two was I graduated Colgate University in 2016 and I didn't really know what I was doing. Caroline was, she was a freshman when I was, she went to Colgate as well. And she was a freshman when I was a senior. And so I graduated, she was a sophomore. So she still had three more years left of college. I was by myself and I was working on my parents' basement and I was really looking to try and figure out like how I was going to build this thing. And so I just applied to a ton of accelerator programs and incubator programs. And I ended up getting into this program called the Brooklyn Fashion Design Accelerator. And it was pretty awesome. It was, unfortunately, it's no longer around, but it was in the Pfizer building in Brooklyn. And what it was a incubator that was sponsored by Pratt University. And they hadn't seen enough environmental change from the top down from these big corporations. And so they invested about $2 million into this program to help aspiring entrepreneurs build out sustainable fashion companies. And so we had a sample room in house. We had all these Pratt mentors, these amazing mentors who had been in the apparel space and really knew how to build and scale a apparel company. And so that's where I really learned how to build a garment. And when we would go to these trunk shows when I was growing, when, I, when we were first starting, like we would get all this amazing customer feedback from the people actually wearing our products. And I would take that back and develop it and, and continue to iterate and, and improve our products. And so, you know, that was a five, four, five year process. And in doing so, we were able to just like really nail the product and understand exactly what our customer wanted. And so we really, trunk shows were a massive part of our business until about the start of 2018. And we, we had some wholesale businesses as well. We had some amazing small kind of pop surf shops that have really supported us from the start. But we started to really invest into our D2C business in 2018. And the reason that was is because we could just reach so many more people. 
And so in 2018, we had a, a really nice year. Last year was a breakout year for us. And this year, we're up over 1,200% year over year. And a lot of that is from just understanding what our customer wants and just going really deep and putting the pedal down in, in terms of our marketing strategy. And people's attention spans are, are very short these days. And so what can we do to capture their intention in, in that split few seconds that we have of theirs? So we call it thumb stopping. So how can you convert a customer and, and really tell someone's story in a matter of seconds? And so that's what we really focus on. And yeah, we put our really our pedal down on terms of e-commerce and trying to scale that because we get to own our customers. And in addition, mm-hmm. we also have some great kind of partners. We're on jcrew.com, Nordstrom's.com, um, which has been really good, solid partners for us. And we also do some pretty awesome collaborations. Wow, dude. First off, just taking a second to pause, like congrats on so much early success. And also just to reiterate the slow and steady approach that you and your sister took with the trunk shows, I think a, a common casualty of people who are building products, they skip to raising capital, going after the big launch, and they spend virtually no time with the customer. So in many ways, you de-risked the opportunity by putting in the year plus of grind like actually going to the surf shops, talking to people and talking to customers to figure out what they want. That's the recipe for success. Like you can't skip over that part. So I'm definitely going to chop up this bit and, and, and blast it out to the world because I think myself included, just a great lesson of what, what works and not to reinvent the wheel in this particular part. I want to segue to how you're thinking about the future. And and part of that, I want to double click into this collaborations piece. A common formula for consumer facing brands is to to find a, a partner, an individual that's high profile and to do some type of co-creation process either with them as a as an equity partner and you see that very commonplace across industry or doing these like kind of one-off more transactions or drops. And so I, I would love to hear your thinking around the notion of uh, kind of creator influencer collabs. Is this something that's in the pipeline for y'all? How do you think about that opportunity in getting Fair Harbor out into the world? Yeah, so we've done collaborations really since the early start, whether that was photographers or influencers or things like that. We've always found value in doing that. And like how our business works is we have pretty deep in like inventory in our evergreen products. And so we invest deep in these products that we have we've tested and we've proved that really resonate with our customers and that people like. And what we use our collaborations for is some newness. So how can we bring in a new perspective of someone who isn't doesn't have my particular aesthetic, but has something new that they bring to the table with, from a design aspect? So that's one thing that we do. And another thing is someone who's got a completely different audience. And so how can we combine those two things with an unique a unique aesthetic with a a different audience and combine it with our aesthetic and our audience and make something that's like really cool and and different. And so we use those collaborations as our newness, as our launch to keep it it exciting. And we've got some really good ones coming out next year, but in the past we've done some great ones as well. We did 
we collaborated with the one hotel with one hotels last year. We collaborated with Untuck It with Whalebone Magazine. I love those guys. They do such cool things. And and uh, a brand called Up West. And so, yeah, we're always looking to to spice it up a little bit and just partnering with really cool people who've got a great outlook on the world. Mm-hmm. When it comes to de-risking the launch of a particular SKU, how do you try to solve for overproducing um, or underproducing? Because I know as a brand with sustainability baked into the DNA, surely there's some formula or template that you've cracked over the years that gets you to some level of confidence that a particular skew will stick before you say, you know what, we're going to go all in on this and deploy a lot of capital on on a particular skew or set of skews. How do you all think about de-risking the launch of new skews and allocation of resources into the launch of new clothing? Yeah, that's a great question. And so it really just takes time. You do have to test into it. Like you test into it. We have got our best selling colors that we started making 200 units per color. And you test it and then you bring it back and you invest in more and it keeps selling. And I, I think so. This in the middle of June, we sold out of the majority of our products from the year. It's been a, a crazy year. I wouldn't have done it any differently, even though we ran out of all product in the middle of our season just because of the uncertainty of COVID. But it's a much better position to be in to have sold out of your product than to have too much product and not know what to do with it. And of course, you're leaving those sales on the table when you don't have enough product to sell. But you know, it also gives you the confidence to know that people are going to get behind this product. We had our wait list was up to 50,000 people at one point throughout the summer because we had just, you know, built, we had built up this demand for products that people wanted. And that's what really helps us understand what the demand for the the products actually are and, and hearing that customer feedback and understanding what sells. And one of our most recent hires actually is a planner. We hired a woman by the name of Shannon who came in and to really dig down into our numbers of our products and our sell-throughs and get as smart as possible with it because that's everything, right? The whole business is it's two things. It's merchandising and marketing. It's, it's picking great products that people want to wear and telling that story about the products to make them you know, want to purchase it. And so that's really what the business is in a nutshell. Wow. Um, on the marketing strategy front, when my partner and I think about launching new products, sometimes we start with uh, a particular brand that inspires us and try to emulate some of the best practices that they've instilled into their work. When you look at Fair Harbor and how you've thought about the org, the tone of the company, the different tactics that you invest and deploy capital into, is there uh, a broader company that you think has done marketing particularly well that you try to emulate in some capacity? Like, for example, I know the great story of, of Red Bull. When you look at how the org is structured, the vast majority of people actually work in marketing. Even though they're selling a physical product, they're a media company. And that's quite literally reflected in where headcount is across the company. And they create these quite literally like amazing movies and films that speak to the story and what Red Bull lives for and obviously sponsor a bunch of events. But is there another brand that you think kind of speaks to you and you've tried to emulate in different ways 
just would love to, to hear kind of where you've gotten your inspiration from one brand or a set of brands for what you've done and succeeded in at Fair Harbor. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's a tough one because we I think we look for inspiration everywhere. I, I would say, man, let me just think about that one for a second. Just because, I don't know, like the brand that I really, I think everyone does in terms of fashion is just what Ralph Lauren has been able to build in terms of a brand, in terms of aspirational and how he's been able to build a classic legacy brand in such an incredible way. From a fashion standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, I think Someone who's done it really well is Untuck It, actually. And we're very close with the Untuck It team, but I will give them a shout out right now because I'm just so impressed by what they've been able to accomplish selling Untuck shirts. And I think what Chris found from day one was the he found a problem that guys wanted to wear the shirts untucked, but couldn't really find something. And he made it so explicit that he even named the company Untuck It <laughs> and just pounded that point home and was incredibly focused about what his mission was and what he was selling. And I've really looked at them and, and what he's done and they've all done him and Aaron in particular about building a company and just being so true to your mission and what you're trying to accomplish and don't waver from what that is. And they're you know, a big company now and they've been able to scale and do that by staying very focused and just just hitting this point home about designing shirts to be worn untucked. And so I've, I've really taken, you know, from their marketing strategy and, and what they've been able to do, it's, it's been pretty incredible to watch. Love that. That's a great shout out. Uh, I want to take a peep forward and hear about how you're thinking about the future. I know you said right now, primarily e-commerce, there's uh, a few partners where you lean into their channels how do you think about the, the future? Are we going to see a few Fair Harbor pop-ups and physical stores hitting U.S. after COVID? Are you going to start exploring larger wholesale? What do you think the future looks like over the next two years for, for Fair Harbor? Yeah, so we do have a store out in, in Sag Harbor, which has been great. I, I, I love the idea of physical retail if it's done correctly. It's just a mm-hmm. way like living, breathing representation of the brand. And so, yeah, we'll continue to explore. Of course, the world is in a, a, a strange place right now. So we'll have to continue to just see what, what happens there. For us, I think my biggest focus and mine and my sister's, my team's biggest focus is, is building the brand equity and continuing to just, just pound and just pound away at our message and what we're trying to achieve and our brand ethos and, and vision. And so in doing so, I think the best way to do that is through our own channel and our D2C channel. And once we do that, I, I definitely see wholesale and larger wholesale being a, a channel for us. But I just want to make sure that we've got that brand equity, that people know who we are, that they know what we stand for, that if you see us in a crowded store, you know exactly what we stand for and why we're there. And so that's my biggest focus right now is just to build that brand equity, continue to make great products. And ultimately, I think that really lends itself nicely to a retail strategy. But again, very thoughtful about it. Make sure that we're in the right locations, that we're telling that story well, and that we're being very thoughtful about how we build it out and what that experience is like going into the stores. So do you think that physical footprint has an important part of a clothing brand or product brand's future? Obviously, we've seen a slate of shutdowns over the last few years from these super popular legacy brands. But... To your point, I, I will also say there's quite a few newer brands, younger brands that have 
gone very all in on physical footprint. Allbirds, you were talking about Neil Blumenthal, right? Like his company as well. So how do you think about physical footprint? Is this like still a really important part of a, a brand's future and in interaction with customers? I would just love, what do you think is, where do you think retail plays a role in the commerce playbook going forward (laughs) in the COVID and post-COVID era? Yeah, I think it's about, and I know this is, it's kind of a buzzword these days, but curating an experience, I think is really important. And, And what can be a living, breathing representation of your brand? And something that you can't touch and feel a website we can we do our best by video and good photography and telling stories and things like that but it's it's still not the same of actually being there and experiencing it yourself and what i want to do is like how can we curate that summer experience all year round in in a physical retail location because i think that will continue to build our brand equity and as long as we're very focused on profitability and so as long as the store is profitable and we have the resources to devote to it. I think it's an incredible channel to have that like living, breathing, breathing representation. Mm-hmm. And then also for some reason, I don't know why, our store in Sag Harbor is it's a very small piece of our business in terms of our overall revenue. But it's like this massive thing that like I get texts about our store and people talk to me about our store more than a lot of other things that we do with our business. And I think that's just a testament to physical retail and having just a physical presence it just legitimizes it for some reason i think that is because people like to go and see and touch things and be and Mm -hmm. experience things and so that's what i think that i think that there will always be physical retail it's just how does it evolve moving forward Mm -hmm. i think it's got to be compelling i think it's got to be exciting and there's a company that's just doing it so well and it's i mentioned whalebone before but they had this space on bleecker street in new york in manhattan and, and they just have these incredible activations there and they just tell these great stories and and within covid i went they did a an activation for accidentally wes anderson last week which Mm -hmm. is a really cool instagram account they were launching a book and there's a line out the door a 20 30 minute line every day to get into this store and with covid because people really just wanted to go and experience his activation and what they had built out and the stories they were telling Uh i thought that was really amazing I, I love that. I, I can speak anecdote. So my fiance and I live right here in in Hell's Kitchen, and she is a devout something Navy fan. She's mm-hmm. been following Ariel Charnas for God knows how long. She was just a blogger, and she just opened up her first store. If it's not on Bleecker, it's like right around Bleecker. <laughs> and she said the same thing. You got to book your twenty minute. You have twenty minutes, a slot of twenty minutes to get in and out of the store. And she was saying that the the line is insane. And again, it's a reflection of your sentiment that retail is important. You got to do it right. It's got to be an experience. It's got to live up to something that's worth traveling to versus ordering from the comfort of a computer screen. Exactly. Last question before we segue to the idea graveyard. It's around the North Star for Fair Harbor. When you look at the upside potential and the impact potential for a company like yours, what is the moonshot? Do you you see yourself joining forces with 
much bigger brand like a, a Patagonia, a, a, even a larger brand than Patagonia, like a, a conglomerate of sorts? Is there a particular bottle recycled milestone that's the North Star for the company? What's the moonshot for you and your team? That's a great question and something that we've been spending a lot of time doing and, and talking about. And I would say that what we want to do is, and, and it's not the exact answer you're looking for, but we want to be the next great American brand. And what that means is this have a really you know meaningful impact in people's lives about people enjoying those places that they love. And my favorite quote is by Theodore Roosevelt, which is keep your feet on the ground and eyes on the stars. And, you know, let's, I want to stay grounded and continue to hit singles, but keep our eyes on the stars of those revenue goals and where we want to be um, as a brand in the next 10 you know, years. And I think for us, we're in this for the long run. We're really, we're trying to build something special and, and we're really, we really care about people's experiences in, in those times when they're off duty, but then also protecting those places for future generations. So we run tons of cleanups. We try and we have this whole idea about approachable sustainability and how can we make sustainability approachable and something that's kind of happened in the past. And I, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there and rightfully so our planet is in a tough position and there's been a lot of neglect over the years, uh, a lot of cynicism around it. but you know, we want to kind of build this idea about, and we are building this idea around approachable sustainability and how can we um, show people that it's, you don't have to do everything all at once, but how can we make these little changes that over time will add up to massive changes? For example, when you go to the grocery store, bring a reusable bag or use a reusable bottle or skip the straw. And the way that we've been able to do that is by running these cleanups. Some of the cleanups that we run in my favorite place to go is, is Ferry Point Park, which is underneath the Tappan Zee Bridge. And it's really interesting to go there because it's which funnels off of the Hudson River. And so you see all of the plastic waste that comes from Manhattan. And there's hundreds and thousands of straws and bottles and bottle caps and everything you can think of. And you can actually see the impact that we're having on the world. And on just from our city alone, and you pick that up and people can actually see, because I remember before we did this, I would drink from a straw and I'd be like, there's, this is, I'm going to throw this in the garbage, it's not going anywhere. But, you know, if everyone has that attitude, then, you know, that's what, why things happen. So if everyone's just more thoughtful and just, just makes these little changes, I think there'll be big changes. So that's our overall goal. I know that was a lengthy response, but overall, I think we're trying to achieve a couple things, but overall it's to be that next great American brand that does good and preserves our environment for future generations. Oh man. I love that. Jake, my favorite question of every interview is around this notion of the idea graveyard. And what I mean by that is there's, Probably, <laughs> I don't want to assume, but if this is probably true for a lot of founders, you have a note in your notes app of a laundry list of ideas that maybe at some point you thought would be the next great hit. And then in hindsight, it just amounted to be total crap. Or conversely, an idea that is super high potential, you just don't have the time to work on it. So my question for you is, what are one of these ideas that you'd love to work on if you had the time to do, but for the time being are just rotting away in your idea graveyard. Yeah. My, the thing that I wish we could spend more time on and, you know, it's, I think it's also a circumstance of the time that we're living in too. And we actually just talked about it for a while, but is really this idea about experiential retail 
and building out just like a really what is that fair harbor experience really built out to the extreme in terms of when you're walking into a, a store and how can we build summer all year long and so like that's what i really wanted we actually almost opened up oh, we almost opened up a store prior to covid on bleaker street which would have been it would have been awesome it would have our whole thing is around summer and cocktails and just like be, having a happy place that you can escape to and so i think that's something that i just think about all the time is like how can i build an experience that really epitomizes everything about fair harbor in a physical retail location and really be thoughtful about it like why why would you want to come to this space and and so that's something that i have a lot of thoughts and a lot of notes about that i haven't been able to execute but you know in the time being we're just kind of keeping our heads down continuing to push forward in terms of our online strategy but eventually we'll come back and make something truly great and special one of those indoor surfing pools <laughs> that would be sick with every run you get 20 percent off uh, your favorite mm-hmm. trunks <laughs> yeah. i just saw i'm a big fan of casey neistat he just like just relaunched his vlog and one of the videos he launched was outdoor wave pool for surfing that cost i don't want to butcher this but i think it was like a hundred dollars per second or something oh. outrageous have you seen that video? It's I think like a- he went to Waco, right? Or did he go to Kelly Slater Wave Pool? I forget which one he went to, but he went to one of them. I saw that video. Yes. It's it pretty awesome. With the train, like the train comes and starts the wave. Yeah, it's wild. What? That's insane. Yeah. So we just sort of create, you and Casey got to create like a mini version for the next Fair Harbor <laughs> location. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Jake, I'd love to roll the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, anything that you want to leave with our listeners, the floor is yours. No, well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Anyone who wants to come check us out, um, you can visit fairharborclothing.com. We've got a bunch of awesome products on there and stay tuned for 2021 as well. We've got some awesome stuff rolling out. So thanks very much for listening and yeah, check us out anytime. Jake, you're the man. Congrats on so much early success. I wish you the best. Well, thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at peterA11 or email us, hello at ingahands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.